0: Welcome everyone, my name is Rob and today we're going to be diving into our second book in the Harvard Classic series, The Journal of John Woolman. Now who is John Woolman? I'll be honest with you, I never heard one single thing about this man until I read his name in this book. And I can honestly say I'm actually really glad I did. He's one of them people that I would have never heard about or read about if it wasn't because of this series. What a remarkable individual. And not in like a grand, I'm going to go conquer the world type of way, but just like in a, in a humble, like how to make change in the world in your hometown. So with that being said, let's dive into John Woolman. So John Woolman was born in 1720, and he would die in 1772, so right before the American Revolution. So he lived a fairly short life compared to somebody like Franklin, who lived to be, you know, 84 years old. Uh, John Woolman was a Quaker, and a very devout one at that. He was an active member of the Society of Friends, and his journal was published after his death, and I think it's kind of... To me, his journal was very personal, uh, had a lot of reflections on his life, and I feel his journal was more personal for his own growth. So it's kind of like Marcus Aurelius's uh, On Meditations. It, it really wasn't, I don't feel it was meant to go out to the world, but it's kind of one of them things like, I'm glad it did, because we got to see the inner beliefs in the life of somebody that was just a very humble, virtuous, and, and moral character. the major theme you will find in Woolman's life is the theme on slavery and his desire to speak out against the abhorrent practice. But before we get into that, let's go into a strange story that the journal opens up with to kind of give you an idea of, of who John Woolman was. I may here mention a remarkable circumstance that occurred in my childhood. On going to a neighbor's house, I saw on the way a robin sitting on her nest, and as I came near, she went off. But having young ones, she flew about, and with many cries expressed her concern for them. I stood and threw stones at her, and one striking her, she fell down dead. At first I was pleased with the exploit, but after a few minutes was seized with horror at having, in a sportive way, killed an innocent creature while she was careful for her young. I beheld her lying dead, and thought those young ones, for which she was so careful, must now perish for want of their dam to nourish them. After some painful considerations on the subject, I climbed up the tree, took all of the young birds, and killed them, supposing that better than to leave them pine away and die miserably. In this case, I believed that scripture proverb was fulfilled The tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. That's John Woolman. From a young age, you can tell he's. He's getting conflicted with this how the society works and the cruelty of society and how his inner peace is a little different. The, the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. I really like that uh, quote. Let's move into how woman will become one of the first abolitionists of his time. Now you have to think too. Abolition, like any movement, gains steam, and once something gains steam, steam, it's a lot easier to kind of get on the bandwagon and move with it because there's support. I don't know if there was any other abolitionist that Woman was growing up around. He he doesn't really mention any or anything like that. So, when you think of the bravery that I feel Woman is about to, you know, show, you have to realize that like there's nobody around him supporting it really. And that's kind of an important thing to remember going through. So, Woman grew up on a plantation and at 21 he would go work for a shopkeeper. And he mentions this shopkeeper buying some Scottish servants. And one of these Scottish servants, I guess, died in, in this room, and then Woolman was kind of, not forced to, but he was, you know, staying in it, and, and this room kind of bothered him because you had this person that was a slave, you know, a, a Scottish slave, of it was kind of weird to, to read about, who had died in this room, you can tell it kind of, it's messing with his emotions again. And then shortly after that, his boss, the uh, shopkeeper, asked Woolman to basically write up a bill of sale for one of his slaves and I'll read that one to you real quick. My employer, having a black woman, sold her, and desired me to write a bill of sale. The man being waiting who bought her, so the man who's buying her is waiting there, uh, the thing was sudden, and though I felt uneasy at the thoughts of writing an instrument of slavery for one of my fellow creatures, yet I remembered that I was hired by the year, and it was my master who directed me to do it, and that it was an elderly man, a member of our society, so this was a Quaker, who bought her. So, through weakness, I gave way and wrote it. But at the executing of it, I was so afflicted in my mind that I said before my master and the friend that I believed slave keeping to be a practice inconsistent with the Christian religion. This in some degree abated my uneasiness, yet as often as I I reflected seriously upon it, I thought I should have cleared it if I had desired to be excused from it, as a thing against my conscience, for such it was. So basically what he's saying he had the chance to say no, and he didn't. He fell short. He was peer pressured. Uh, he didn't want to lose his job. Choosing to do the right thing sometimes can be very hard, especially you know, if your job may depend on it or anything like that. It's easy to look back, and, and again, I, w- I want to keep saying this. It's easy to look back and think, well, yeah, I would I would easily lose my job over that. Um, but it's because we, after so many years, look at this kind of time and, and, and that practice is, with such evilness that nobody would expect you to work for somebody that did that. But it was completely different back then. I mean, you had a Quaker buying a slave. You can tell that woman because he just realizes he participated in the transaction of human life it's going to eat on him throughout the rest of this book, and we'll kind of get into that after this. John Woolman would travel a lot with the Society of Friends, this this Quaker group. He would go down into North Carolina, and he would see the realities of slavery throughout the colonies. And he does mention how it's different down in the South versus the North, the agricultural differences, and like how slavery was treated. This portion of the journal kind of goes into you know his observations on the treatments of the slaves and stuff like that. It's very, it's very kind of telling of the times. After that, once again he is tested by God. So an elderly man comes to woman and he wants woman to help write his will. And once they get to the topic of the old man's slaves, Woman asks him, you know, what do you want to do with them? How do you want to dispose of them? And after hearing that the old man wants to keep them and basically pass them down to his kids, you know, let his children inherit them, Woman basically steps back and says, Hey look, I'm sorry. I can't go against my morals and you know, I, I've wrote as much as I can, if you will, but I, I cannot add that into it. You're going to, have to find somebody else to go do it. So the old man, he's kind of taken back, you know, and he says, OK, well, if you know, if you can do it, I'll go find somebody who can. So as we see here, a character starting to build, you know, somebody's starting to push back a little bit. This is you got to think woman's a younger man. This is an elder man. There is that that respect level back then, too, between the elderly. Uh, that you don't see so much today. You don't see quite as much today. So for a young man to be telling an old man, I'm not doing this for you, um, that's that's saying something. He says, after a few years, the same man, after some alterations in his family, which I guess means somebody died, he came back and he wanted woman to kind of finish writing the will. And he says, "Hey, look, my son is no longer a drunk. He's done cleaned up. He's a great dude now. And the slaves that we have, they're they're very young. I don't really know if they would, you know, make it on their own. So it'd be best if we just pass them down to my son, who's you know found a new lease on life. He's much better than he used to be." He says, "Surely you will write it now, Mister Woolman." And a uh, woman's like, "No." He says, "In the book, we had much friendly talk on the subject." and then deferred it. A few days after he came again and directed their freedom, I then wrote his will. Wow. So a single act of bravery, courageous bravery, altered the outcome of a few people's lives forever. How many times have you backed down in the face of adversity out of fear of what people would think or fear of what society would think of you? There was a second incident that occurred right after that. Near the time that the last mentioned friend first spoke to me, a neighbor received a bad bruise in his body and sent for me to bleed him. Now that was this practice back in the day that they would basically lance open your body and let blood drain out. and They would, they would only, you know, basically take out so much blood and then it was called bleeding sessions. Which having done, he desired me to write his will. I took notes and amongst other things, he told me, to which of his children he gave his young black person. I considered the pain and distress he was in, and knew not how it would end, so I wrote his will save only the part concerning his slave, and carrying it to his bedside, read it to him. I then told him in a friendly way that I could not write any instruments by which my fellow creatures were made slaves, without bringing trouble on my own mind. I let him know that I charged nothing for what I had to do, and I desired to be excused from doing the other part in the way he proposed. We then had a serious conference on the subject. At length, he agreeing to set her free. I finished his will. Again, you're starting to see that that character build. It's, It's getting to that point now where it's becoming a habit. How you should live life in a virtuous way, in a moral way. And you can tell his bravery is starting to build with it. And to kind of give you an idea of the times, I want to read two passages that kind of describes the usefulness of slaves and then also the rationalization of slavery during this period. Because this will kind of give you an idea of what he's up against. I took occasion to remark on the difference in general betwixt a people used to labor moderately for their living, training up their children in frugality and business, and those who live on the labor of slaves the former, in my view, being the most happy life. He concurred in the remark and mentioned the troubling arise from the untoward, slothful disposition of the slaves, adding that one of our laborers would do as much in a day as two of their slaves. I replied that free men, whose minds were properly in their business, found a satisfaction. In improving, cultivating, and providing for their families. But slaves laboring to support others whom claim them as their property and expecting nothing but slavery during life had not the like inducement to be industrious. So they're basically saying that slavery may not be the best way to go about things because the motivation is is horrible. There there's no there's no reason for a slave to work hard if you know you, you're getting nothing from it and you're waking up the next day and doing the same thing over again. It's almost insanity. I wanted to read this one too it's it's basically an argument for slavery and it's it's kind of one of them things it's a great quote in here that woman has about rationalizing you know just things that don't make any sense he says after some time I felt inward relief and soon after this is a uh, woman talking a friend of woman's a friend in company began to talk in support of the slave trade and said the blacks were understood to be the offspring of Cain and their blackness being the mark which God set upon him after he murdered Abel his brother, that it was the design of providence they should be slaves, as a condition proper to the race so wicked a man as Cain was. Then another spake in support of what what had been said, to all which I replied in substance as follows. The love of ease and gain are the motives in general of keeping slaves, and men are wont to take hold of weak arguments to support a cause which is unreasonable. And I think that's so important today not to the extent of what like slavery was but a lot of times we give these just weak arguments for things that they're so immoral i mean it's such a weak argument to even continue it but you see it happening all the time so i think that's a great example of you know people are going to rationalize evil but you have to look past it think with a moral compass, be virtuous, and say, you know what? I know a lot of y'all think this way, but I don't because I reason a little bit differently. Woman goes into basically not wanting to wear clothes that were dyed by the slaves. He doesn't want to use items that were uh, made by slaves. And there's this report that an older Quaker makes because he's seeing that his congregation is basically moving in this this materialistic way, in this ease of living. And after this report that this man kind of gives, woman speaks up in support of this old man and what he's kind of saying. I think it's a good little passage. After this report was read, an exercise revived in my mind, which had attended me for several years, and inward cries to the Lord were raised in me, that the fear of man might not prevent me from doing what is required of me. And standing up, I spoke in substance as follows. I have felt a tenderness in my mind towards persons in two circumstances mentioned in the report, namely towards such active members as keep slaves, and he's talking about members of the Quaker community, and such as hold offices in civil government. I have desired that friends in all their conduct may be kindly affectioned one towards another. Many friends who keep slaves are under some exercise on that account, and at times think about trying them with freedom, but find many things in their way." the way of living and the annual expense of some of them are such that it seems impracticable for them to set their slaves free without changing their own way of life. Sometimes it's hard for people to change their way of life, even if it's being supported by evil ways. And that's something we kind of see today too, which that kind of leads into this passage here. Um, when he's talking about trading, uh, in support of slavery, he says to trade freely with oppressors without laboring to dissuade them from such unkind treatment, and to seek for gain by such traffic, tends, I believe, to make them more easy respecting their conduct than they would be if the cause of universal righteousness was humbly and firmly attended to by those in general, with whom they have commerce, and that complaint of the Lord by the prophet, they have strengthened the hands of the wicked." basically what he's saying is if you know there's an evil that's basically creating your product whether it be a technology product like a phone or something like that and you continue to purchase the phone you're basically giving it the okay you're basically saying that the manufacturers whoever's over these companies or whatever I don't want to see it I don't want to learn about it but I'll go ahead and support it that's the evil that John Woman's basically saying he's not going to support it's the power of money and where you put your money and I think John Woman's kind of saying that from a very you know early age so it's not so newfound concept to basically cancel products or something like that. John Woman's calling for it back in the 17, you know, 50s or whatever. I want to go over two readings that basically are kind of on on virtues and and kind of gives you an idea of what John Woman's virtues are and what he's thinking about during this time. Do we feel an affectionate regard to posterity? And are we employed to promote their happiness? Do our minds and things outward look beyond our own dissolution? And are we contriving for the prosperity of our children after us. Let us then, like wise builders, lay the foundation deep and by our constant uniform regard to an inward piety with virtue. Let them see that we really value it. Let us labor in the fear of the Lord, that their innocent minds, while young and tender, may be preserved from corruptions, that as they advance in age they may rightly understand their true interest, may consider the uncertainty of temporal things and above all have their hope and confidence firmly settled in the blessings of the almighty being who inhabits eternity and preserves and supports the world woman seems to definitely believe in the purpose of of putting a lot of value in in youth And really putting a lot of time and energy into that young foundation. That's an important concept. I feel that the the more I read about that time frame, a lot of focus was put on, you know, the morals and the virtues of of the youth. Uh, Franklin talks about it in his last book. A woman's going to talk about it. And then William Penn, who we'll be talking about next week, he also goes into it. There's another good passage talking about like pride and vanity and stuff like that. Doth pride lead to vanity? doth vanity from imaginary wants. Do these wants prompt men to exert their power in requiring more from others than they would be willing to perform themselves? Were the same required of them? Do these proceedings beget hard thoughts? Do hard thoughts, when right, become malice? Does malice, when right, become revengeful and, in the end, inflict terrible pains on our fellow creatures and spread desolations in the world?" That's a pretty powerful statement. John woman was pretty big on native affairs during this period. Uh, the period of his life encompassed the French and Indian War uh, with the British. So as being part of the British colonies back then, uh, they would be against the Native Americans at this point because most of the Native Americans allied up with France. So he was a proponent of peaceful Indian negotiations. He speaks out about the underhanded dealings that kind of helped take the native lands. I've read in a lot of other you know books and stuff about basically the use of alcohol. And, you know, once once they divvied out a bunch of alcohol, they would make these deals with the Indians and they would be so underhanded and so lopsided that they would lose a bunch of land and they would only gain, you know, a few crates of alcohol and stuff like that. Uh, he was speaking out against that. And right at the start of the French and Indian War, the Native Americans did some pretty major attacks on some of the British, you know, cities and towns on the frontier. And during this period, woman wanted to go out and meet some of the Native American chiefs and stuff like that. And so they got a little party together and they went deep into the mountains and and found some some of these, you know, Native American chiefs and they traded and stuff like that. And during this portion of the book, he really describes his travel there and how he almost gave up on this mountain. It's cold, it's it's the, you know, going down these rivers and stuff like that. It's a very vivid picture. I almost got like, you know, cold thinking about it whenever I was reading through it. But he describes their way of life, their culture and everything during that period and it's it's so cool to think that like you have a man living you know, during this period, who's uh, so passionate about change and stuff like that, and you can tell he can't quite wrap his head around the the brutality of how the Indians uh, go about war with the scalping and everything like that. He's kind of taken back, but I think a lot of times when you when you mix these religious figures with warlike warrior type individuals, there, there's kind of that they don't understand each other for the simple fact that you know war take some pretty brutal and nasty things if you really want to win and it's hard for somebody like woman coming from his you know way of thought to actually kind of un- understand that sometimes so you can tell he's kind of taken back at like the brutality of the native americans and like how how they're wanting to go about winning this war but again he's he's also taken aback about how the colonies at the time treated slavery you know it's there was a lot of brutality across the whole board and i feel a woman's just in the middle looking around like man like y'all y'all need to get y'all stuff together woman would eventually go to england he had a few kids at this point uh, he talks to his wife. Uh, he's called to England, so he 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 goes over to England, and you can you can tell woman is really affected by the luxury type of living of of the English. He kind of speaks out against it a lot. His his focus kind of goes from slavery because obviously it's not there as much, um, and then he kind of brings it more into the luxurious type of living and and speaking out against you know the luxuries of the rich. Uh, he brings up the young male boys who basically, they'll travel through these cold nights trying to get mail back and forth, and uh, some of them, you know, they, they get so cold at night they freeze and die, and he has a good passage in here. Some boys who ride long stages suffer greatly in winter nights, and at several places I've heard of their being frozen to death. So great is the hurry and the spirit of this world, that in aiming to do business quickly and to gain wealth, the creation at this day doth loudly groan. says, Oh, may the wealthy consider the poor. Again, that's one of them things where Woolman will not even send letters during the cold periods because he doesn't want to be participating in these young boys dying you know, trying to get this mill back and forth. That's that just model of of somebody who really wants to live out their values. Kind of before we wrap it up, I want to read this dream to you that woman had. It's it's a it's a unique dream. It kind of threw me off. I had to think about it for a little bit. Now this was when he was in England that he, he was uh, writing this. In a time of sickness, a little more than two year two and a half years ago, I was brought so near the gates of death that I forgot my name, and being then desirous to know who I was, I saw a mass of matter of a dull, gloomy color between the south and the east. It was informed that the mass was human beings in as great misery as they could be and live, and that I was mixed with them, and that, henceforth, I might not consider myself as a distinct or separate being. In this state, I remained several hours. I then heard a soft, melodious voice, more pure And harmonious than any I had heard with my ears before. I believed it was the voice of an angel who spoke to another angel. The words were, John Woolman is dead. I soon remembered that I once was John Woolman, and being assured that I was alive in the body, I greatly wondered what that heavenly voice could mean. I believed beyond doubting that it was the voice of a holy angel, but as yet it was a mystery to me. I was then carried in spirit to the mines where poor oppressed people were digging rich treasures for those so-called Christians, and heard them blaspheme the name of Christ, at which I was grieved, for his name to me was precious. I was then informed that these heathens were told that those who oppressed them were the followers of Christ, and they said among themselves, if Christ directed them to use us in this sort, then Christ is a cruel tyrant. What a dream. That's a powerful passage to read through. And I think that dream definitely had an impact on him and what he wanted to do in life. So John Woolman would die kind of unexpectedly in in England. He got smallpox. Uh, he was in York, England at the time, and he died in a friend's house. And I often find events like this kind of ironic because he grew up in the harshness of the Americas. He would travel around the slave areas of you know, the colonies, and you're around sickness a lot of the, that time. And during the French and Indian War, he would travel into Native American territory and, and talk with the chiefs, and he would travel on, on a ship to England, and then he would die in a nice little town of York of smallpox. A few of the great quotes that I like from a woman I pulled out, there's about three or four of them here. True religion consists in an inward life. And I truly believe that too. You can go to church all you want. You can read the Bible all you want. But until you step back and reflect on things that you do, on what you've learned and what what you've heard, and and, and really kind of dive into your mind, it's it's the inwardness of it that's that true religion. Uh, He has in here, Conduct is more convincing than language. I like that a lot too because although Woolman wrote a lot, he did a lot. And I really feel he's one of those people like, if you saw him in life... There was no questioning where he stood in his values or morals or anything like that. You didn't have to. He didn't have to tell you anything. You could see how he acted, where he stayed at on the ship, what items he bought, how he, you know, managed to write somebody's will. It was all there in his life. Where people let loose their minds after the love of outward things and are more engaged in seeking the profits and friendships in the world than to be inwardly acquainted with the way of true peace. They walk in vain shadow while the true comforts of life are, are wanting. I took this to kind of mean if you want to look so good and have like these nice cars and, you know, buy these nice cars, you can have nice women. And by these nice women and nice cars, you can be thought of as this Andrew Tate type person. Then that's great. But I think what woman's saying is. You know, if, if you seek inward and you're a good person, you have a good family. You're you're trying to make your kids that give them that great foundation, raise the next generation good. You're going to find so much more inward peace than you will in any of these ex- external material type type items. Another good one is chastisement is intended for instruction, and instruction being received by gentle chastisement, greater calamities are prevented. I think this is perfect for anybody with children. It's not wrong to chastise your children, to do it gently if you need, and to really help, you know, guide that little soul into a good direction. You know, if we can, the the youth today, gosh, we definitely need a lot of help, and uh, I like that one. With that being said, in a world full of sin, conformity, and materialism, we should choose to be more like John Woolman, a man of morals and virtues beyond what was just acceptable at the time. He was a thinker, And he was not someone that just took action, but he took courageous, bold action. John Woolman is somebody that we should definitely be looking up to and trying to emulate. I hope you've enjoyed this review on John Woolman's journal. It's honestly a remarkable read. It's a person you've probably never heard of. I think you'll get a lot out of it. Again, these videos are brought to you by my coffee company, Cedar Oda Coffee. If you would like to support this type of content, please consider purchasing my coffee. Um, I'll leave a link link to the website in the description below next up we'll be going over William Penn's some fruits of Solitude it's a remarkable little book as well what I like about uh, William Penn is he's kind of witty like Franklin he has some good little good little sayings in there with that being said stay blessed keep your nose in the books and drink some great great coffee I'll see you next week love you you were drinking wine and you were speaking Portuguese. I was making lots of noise busking on the city streets I came back from Brooklyn but you didn't come back for me